All right, so the Yankees are in Baltimore for a three-game series that will basically determine whether or not they can uh, win the AL East this year. And with the way the Royals are going, uh, the second wild card is not going to be as easy as I thought a few days ago. Uh, but, you know, things are looking up early here in the first game of this series thanks to a crazy double steal, double error play, and the Yankees have a lead in Baltimore. And uh, while the Yankees are playing the first-place Orioles, I decided to have uh, J.J. from Barstool Sports New York back on um, to, to talk about something that he brought up the last time he was on the podcast, which was the idea that everybody gets to be a Yankee once. Um, and with Rich Hill now on this team, Chris Capuano starting tonight, uh, Brandon McCarthy being a Yankee, even though he's done a good job. We've got Chase Headley now, Martin Prado, Stephen Drew. This team really has put together uh, you know, an all-time list of uh, guys that are getting to be a Yankee for the first chance. And JJ joins me again today to, to go over um, what we've created. I, I've created a 25-man roster. He's created a 25-man roster of what we believe to be um, the best all-time everybody gets to be a Yankee once team during the Brian Cashman era. So um, everywhere, every team from 1998 on, JJ, how's it going today? It's going pretty good. Um, like you said, the Yankees are up as of when we're recording this. There's plenty of time for that to change. But uh, aside from the last two days of Yankee games, everything's uh, pretty good. Yeah, you know, last week I wrote uh, at the end of the week how I you could sign me up for the second wild card right now, even though I was so adamant, so strongly against it when it first came out. But now that it's become sort of the Yankees' only way into the playoffs, uh, at least at this time, I'm for it. And I was all excited about Yankees baseball last week after taking three of four from the Tigers and what really could have been four out of four. And then they go and they lose uh, back-to-back games to the Indians on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, uh, pretty soul-crushing, especially, you know, the combination of I was I was at home watching, but you know, beautiful weekend. Paul O'Neill's getting honored. This is a perfect time to really prove something, beat Kluber, and then have some no name who's lost twenty one straight starts <laughs> on Sunday. This is it's a layup. It's a layup. I spent my Friday. No, I think it was Thursday afternoon after we won that day game, um, picking out. Like, what is, for Barstool Yankee fans, what's going to be our war anthem? Because we're going to war. But what's it going to take to motivate everyone because we're going, we're winning the World Series? I was so set on it. Like, forget the wild card. Like, we were, <laughs> ma- we were about to make a run. I was in my own head, and then they just can't string it together. I mean, we're looking right now, the Royals are at seven wins in a row, and that's what this team's missing. The Yankees haven't had that seven, eight-game win streak that all of a sudden, you win seven in a row, everyone else in your division, you know, even if they win four out of seven, um, you're still picking up three games. And those are, we need streaks like that right now. No, I agree. And the thing is, when you look at what's going on with the with the second wild card, is that it's such you know a clusterfuck in the sense that you've got the Yankees right there, the Blue Jays are still right there, even though they've had that downswing. Uh, you've got the the Royals who are just tearing it up. They might even make a play now for the Tigers in the Central. And with that being the only way in, you start to look at these other teams and scoreboard watch every night and ask yourself if the Yankees are really better than them. And 
when it comes to the Central and the Royals, you know, I think the Yankees are a better team than them. Um, but that'll, you know, that still remains to be seen. They still have a few another series left against each other. They still have a game to make up from the first time they played. Uh, but when you look at the Tigers team that we saw last week, they're supposed to be the big bad Tigers. It's supposed to be them and the A's. And when you look at that team, it's almost like they dismantled their lineup too much, leaving just Cabrera and Martinez and a strong rotation. But I just feel like this Tigers team isn't as good as it has been in the past. And I don't know if they necessarily made the right moves to get back to the World Series. I mean, I think when you look at it with that rotation, you've got Verlander just having a bad year. Um, and who knows? He can, you know, snap out of it at any point. And then the other guys who we beat, even, you know, we lost the game price started, but we matched up with him for nine innings to, you know, get into extra innings. And if those guys start to really click and their offense picks it up a little bit, they are, on paper, they are a better team than the Yankees because the Yankees at the same time are in basically the same position. Our pitchers are carrying us. If the offense were just click, it could be really dangerous. But our pitchers are nowhere near as proven as Detroit's. But then, you know, you just look at they are still a good team. They're a team that's in the lead, and we follow that up by falling on our faces against Cleveland. But we, we've got a bunch of games against Kansas City. We've got a bunch of games against Toronto. Of course, we're playing Baltimore. So there's still we still control our own fate. It's just these bats have got to um, have got to wake up. Have got to figure it out. Well, with the bats not waking up, and a lot of it has been, um, you know, the guys who have underachieved, the guys with the big contracts, but it's also been the guys who are part of this idea of everybody gets to be a Yankee once, and you brought it up the last time, which is sort of going to be a theme for this podcast, and maybe give the background on, uh, I, you know, I had thought about it in the past, never really thought about it in the way that you said it until you said it, so, you know, you get all the credit for creating this, and uh, maybe give a little background on how you came up with this before we get into the teams. So I guess it had to be 2000, Yankees trade for Jose Canseco, and even though, he, you know, he, it was the end of his career, Jose Canseco, I mean, you got Jose Canseco. It's just like, um, what is that, the Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar, where he just he's yelling at the end, I'm Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco was a huge <laughs> deal, not just for on the field, but he was a monster of a man. Like, any time he hit a home run, he just stuck out or he hit the ball 900 feet. <laughs> and we got Jose Canseco. I just said, Dad, because I was a uh, freshman in high school. Dad, we got Jose Canseco. How awesome is that? Isn't that crazy? And my dad just said, eventually you'll learn. Everyone gets to be a Yankee once. And it just it stuck with me because if you look at even – in trying to put together this team, even though I've been building it in my mind since then, um, you even look back to like when our parents would be younger. There were guys who just came to the Yankees for a little bit of time late in their career. But now, especially with free agency and trades and just the differences in uh, salary for small market teams versus someone like the Yankees, it really turns out that everybody gets to be a Yankee once, and now I'm left sitting here waiting for my chance to be a Yankee. <laughs> well, the way you talk about Jose Canseco, I remember in uh, 2010 when the Yankees got Lance Berkman, and um, which he'll play a prominent role in the in the podcast later on. But 
like you said, with you were just like, you know, hey, we got Jose Canseco, and you're all pumped. I remember my roommate's little brother was over, and he, and I told him, I was like, hey, the Yankees got Lance Berkman, and he was like, we got Lance fucking Berkman, and he was so pumped, and it was like, well, we didn't get Lance Berkman of 2003, you know, we got this Lance Berkman who was, you know, barely in the league anymore, uh, you know, scraping together home runs here and there, and little did we know, the next year he'd go on to St. Louis and hit 31 home runs and um, save their season in, in the Game 6 of the World Series and go on to be a world champion, but in 2010, he was pretty awful, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where the Yankees get these guys, and you're like, wow, we got this guy, and it's like, well, he's 35 now, and he hasn't been good in eight years. I mean, I even going through some of the guys from, like, the late early 2000, so like 2008, 2009, guys that were on those teams, like some of these guys are, and I was trying to figure out, you know, who was an all-star looking at that stuff. Some of these guys are out of the league. They've been out of the league for a few years, and they're like 36 years old. It's just like amazing how quickly some of these guys burnt out, and that really, if you look at everyone's stats, when you start to pull it, you see the Yankees are at the end of it <laughs> every time. It's always they did a lot of good stuff, and then they got to be a Yankee. Well, for the criteria for the rules we came up with for this was uh, we sort of went by different rules, but the gist was the same for both. In that the guy couldn't have been drafted or uh, you know brought up through the Yankees; he had to come at some other point in his career he had to be somewhere else first. Um, the other thing was that he couldn't play in three. Uh, Parts of three seasons. He could play a full season, then part of a season, two parts of two seasons. But he couldn't play in three different years for the Yankees. And um, another rule that you went off of was that they had to be an all-star on another team. And, and some of my guys are, some of them are. I didn't go off that rule. But like like we said, uh, your team is more of an all-star caliber team that the Yankees put together through guys who are aging old veterans at the end of their career. My team is sort of, a, sort of like, uh, I can't believe... You know, during the Brian Cashman era, at one point he thought signing this guy was a good idea. Is that does that pretty much sum up how you made your team? Yeah, I mean, I've got uh, that you can't play more than three years, and that's really the uh, the Gary Sheffield clause because, like, we had Gary Sheffield. It's one of those things that you look. I look back and I try to wait. We had Gary Sheffield, <laughs> um, and um, so we had that. And so, just to use as an example, if you looked at like today's team for my team. Um, you also, you can't be on, for my team, you can't be on the Yankees right now. So, in the future, uh, Ichiro would be eligible. Depending on what happens, Chase Headley becomes eligible. Um, there's a few other guys who are on the team that become eligible, but we've got to see uh, kind of where they go. You know, Beltron would be one. Um, Ellsbury will be here longer than three years. So, I think you can see see where I'm going with it, but um, really looking at this was uh, a combination of a trip down memory lane and just who the fuck is John Lieber? <laughs> where, did, where did we get some of these guys? All right, well, I think the way it makes the most sense is we'll just go position by position, and then after we'll give our, our lineup, our starting lineup of what it would look like if all these guys had played on the Yankees um, at the same time. So once again, it's the everybody gets to be a Yankee once team. Uh, we'll go back and forth position by position, and it's any time from 1998, Brian Cashman's first season as uh, the general manager of the Yankees, through the present day, with the exception that they can't be a present-day Yankee. And um, at catcher, I've got Pudge, Ivan Rodriguez, who uh, he had one, you know, parts of one season in 2008. He got traded sh- 
Straight up for Kyle Farnsworth, the teary-eyed Kyle Farnsworth who broke down in the clubhouse after the game, I remember. Um, he only appeared in 33 games for the Yankees, had 101 plate appearances, and uh, hit a nice two home runs with three RBIs in those 101 plate appearances. So Pudge Rodriguez got to be a Yankee once. Pudge Rodriguez was another one where it was just like, holy shit, we got Pudge Rodriguez. <laughs> and then you kind of ask yourself, wait, is he still in the league? Um it's just it's just crazy that we got him and how little production there was. I mean, that was really a push for, can we please do something this season? Can we please pull through somehow? And uh, that was the Hail Mary of all Hail Marys. So I have Pudge on my team as well, but um, as a respectful fantasy general manager, um, I do, I'm carrying two, uh, two catchers. Um, so my second catcher, I don't know if you have two. Oh, I do, is, have, I do uh, have a backup. Um, is, I have Russell Martin. All right, that's fair. I, 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 I thought of Martin. I didn't put him in there only because um, – I, I tried to stay away from him only because he seemed to fill a void that was left uh, You know, with Posada not being able to catch anymore. They felt they needed a guy who could do an everyday role. Um, he was sort of looking for a bounce-back year, a bounce-back contract. And I went with my backup catcher. I went with a backup catcher, and that's Kelly Stinnett, who <laughs> was so bad, but he ended up becoming, uh, you know, Randy Johnson's uh, personal catcher because he couldn't get along with Posada, and he ended up becoming a personal catcher for him. And he was just, you know, miserable at the plate. Um, I guess you could say he was all right defensively, maybe overhyped defensively the way the backup catchers are, but he played 14 years in the majors um, and only ended up playing 34 games with the Yankees, uh, all coming in 2006. So I've got Stinnett to back up Pudge there. Yeah, um, I think for the the way we've built our teams differently and I'm looking more for like what is, if they were to get, come out with a new video game or whatever, you know, the show, 2015, and they would say, oh, we also have the everyone used to be a Yankee team. Um, more geared towards, like, the All-Stars. So, I think Kelly's in that great, great pick. And then, you got to give him a little bit of credit for recognizing, hey, there's an issue here. Well, there's two issues. Issue number one is, I'm really bad at baseball. <laughs> um, but then, issue number two is, there's a, there's a problem with Randy Johnson and Jorge Posada. And Randy Johnson's not going to they're not going to ship him out. They're not going to ship Posada out. So there's a way to at least find his way to play every five days, have a really good chance at being part of a winning ball club on every fifth day because you're catching Randy Johnson. And Randy Johnson's strikes me as one of those guys, like you hear Greg Maddox, you hear stories about where they just call their own game. They just let you know where they were going to put it and what they were going to do. And you're just back there catching it. So, you got to give Kelly Sinetta a little credit for recognizing an opportunity um, to still be a Yankee, even though he sucked at baseball. <laughs> well, with the Pudge, I mean, before we continue on to first base with Pudge there, and you mentioned how in 2008 they were sort of like, well, let's try to do something here. And at the time, I mean, he wasn't doing poorly. He was hitting uh, 295 with the Tigers when they got him. So he was having a pretty good year. And it was at that point in the season when they – you know, they were still had a season. They were still trying to come back in the division. They were still alive for what was still just one wild card at the time. And it seemed like he'd be a good fit. He just didn't work out. And, uh, you know, Pudge Rodriguez, I think those two home runs and three RBIs and in 101 plate appearances, I mean, that's that's pretty miserable. I, I It's going to be hard to find a guy with 
worst production, I think, on either of our teams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, it, was pretty, it was pretty pitiful. Uh, but he was happy to be there. He was happy to be a Yankee. <laughs> well, at first base, I have a guy who um, – Every chance Michael Kay had, he would tell you how he played high school football with A-Rod. A-Rod was the quarterback, and this guy, Doug Minkavich, was the ride receiver. They would connect, and all oh, their buddies, and this and that. And, you know, Minkavich could pick it at first. He couldn't hit to save his life. He was also, you know, responsible for catching uh, the final out of the Red Sox 2004 World Series. So um, he brought a little dagger with him in that sense to New York. But Doug Minkavich, um, I put him at first base, a very light-hitting first baseman for this team. Obviously, first base is a stack position, could go a bunch of ways. I've got a guy on the bench who could have uh, probably started over him, but I put Doug Minkavich there just because of the 2004 Red Sox factor and then the fact that he came here and really didn't do much at all. Um, so I really I looked at Doug Minkavich pretty hard um, because I really liked that he stole that baseball from the last <laughs> out of 2004. Like That was the thing for a while, that he just disappeared with it and wasn't sure if he was going to give it back. But there's just something about winning a World Series for the Red Sox that I just couldn't get down with. So I am star- I have for my starting first baseman someone we mentioned earlier, someone who terribly hated his time with the New York Yankees, Lance Berkman. Um, <laughs> I remember when we got him, it was exactly what you said. What, you know, Lance Berkman, oh, well, it's Lance Berkman. This guy, he's, he's got power both sides of the plate. And um, just did not work out in New York. The next year, hits his 31 home runs, wins his World Series. But even asked if he thought about re-signing in New York. I, I forget the exact quote, but he blatantly just said, I really did not enjoy playing in New York. I don't like New York really much as a city. Like, it's too fast paced for him. He's, like a, he's just a southern guy. I think he's originally from Texas, too. and So I get that. But um, he did not enjoy his time in pinstripes. To, at all, <laughs> at all, just blatant Lance Berkman, Southern guy, spent his life in Houston, and uh, yeah, he did not fit in up here. He did not fit in, especially when in that ALCS, the uh, six-game loss to the Rangers. I remember Teixeira went out and blew his hamstring, and then Berkman became the starting first baseman, and he just couldn't hack it in that role. And uh, you know, he, he actually had. If I remember, he actually did have a decent postseason 2010. It might have been um, only in the first round against Minnesota, but I'm going to check right now. But I do remember getting some hits. He, yeah, he did. He was two for four against Minnesota in the first round and hit a home run, and then he was three for 12 against the Rangers. So um, he was he was basically exactly what we thought he would get, a guy who was broken down, barely uh, holding on to Major League life, and uh, he gave the Yankees what, what little he had left. He gave them even less than that. I mean, in the regular season, he had uh, 106 at-bats and one home run. Yeah, that so, was great. I, I still remember that Hunter one Rodriguez. Hunter Rodriguez was a better pickup. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I said we won't get to a guy who had worse production, but Berkman, given um, his career, the fact that he had a you know a 45 home run season, a 42 home run season, even if they had happened, you know, uh, Two and seven, two and eight years before that. Uh, I mean, to hit one home run in that main at bats, Pudge Rodriguez was a better pickup for that. I mean, two years later, after he had his thirty-one home run year, he missed most of the season for a knee injury. Came back late for uh, Seattle, and in eighty-one at bats, hit two home runs. So, 
that's uh, that's kind of where we stand with Lance Berkman. <laughs> well, to move on to second base, um, he was the opening day second baseman um, in 2005. Eventually lost his role to uh, Robinson Cano and never got it back. He was a second baseman, an outfielder. They didn't really know where to put him. And that is Tony Womack, um, you know, one season or, or uh, not a full season, basically, with the Yankees, and uh, he is my starting second baseman. Um, so as we got on the uh, on the air here to record, I did have to make a change because I had gone outside of the limit and I wanted to keep it in there. So I'm also starting uh, Tony Womack as my second baseman. I mean, I when we got him, he had he had a lot of miles under him. He had played, you know, those early years in Pittsburgh. He had some good years in Arizona. Um, actually, beat us in the World Series in 2001. So there was a thought of, ah, well, maybe we get a couple of years out of him. Uh, we weren't really sure what was going to happen with Cano, and that fell apart fast. I mean, in a good way for the Yankees, because we oh, had yeah. Robert Cano for so many years. So this is one of those situations where, ah, you didn't deliver, but at the end of the day, we ended up getting more. A lot of times we'll see on this team that the guy who came in behind you or replaced you um, was even worse. But Tony Womack, for his short amount of time in New York, uh, is at least appreciated for keeping the seat warm for, uh, and no, and no home runs, no home runs at Yankee Stadium, it's the old stadium. <laughs> no home run, no home runs and, anywhere. No home runs in in uh, 351 plate appearances for Tony Womack. And I think the thing with him is and that he's left. <laughs> yeah, and he's left exactly. And the thing with him is that after old four, you know, they were just throwing money out. I mean. Randy, they were, you know, they wanted Randy Johnson. They threw money at Jerry Wright. Carl Pavano got money. They, they, Tony Womack's 34 years old. He had 307 the year before, 349 on base percentage. Uh, you know, one of his best years coming at 34 years old for the Cardinals. And he, you know, signed him up. Give him a contract too. Why not? And that was sort of the Yankees mentality. And, you know, you look back at what Tony Womack was doing, and I think that's, uh, you know, 307, 349 on base for, and five home runs for a guy who, who really couldn't hit home runs at age 34 does look a little shady now that you look back on, uh, you know, the last 10 years of baseball. Yeah, I mean, I was actually surprised to look up Tony Womack in his career only made $23 million. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would think that that's – you'd think that he'd get more, but then, I mean, early on in those, you know, late 90s, early 2000s years with the Diamondbacks, um, he was probably getting like, what, like one to three million a year, I'm guessing, for that time? Yeah. I mean, after he was with the Diamondbacks, he there was a year in between where he played in St. Louis and he made three hundred thousand dollars. So, <laughs> well, the yeah. Yankees the Yankees got him for two million. They got uh, all that produ- all that offensive production, and then uh, I guess it evened out because they were probably paying Cano a couple hundred thousand that year at the league minimum. So it did work out in their favor. Yeah. So T- Tony Womack, you uh, welcome to the team. <laughs> well, at third base, I didn't originally have him on the team. I sort of overlooked him. Um, but then I figured you got to put him in there because what he meant um, in the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, he was one of the faces of the Red Sox for so long. Um, definitely of the face of, uh, or at least one of them again, in their 2007 championship. Um, you know, this guy was MVP caliber, uh, an all-star all the time, great defensively at first and third. And that's Kevin Euclid, who played very minimal time in 2013 with the Yankees. Um, and now... 
he's in Japan. I know none of the 30 Major League Baseball teams wanted him. I, I know that there was something early on the season where he said he wanted to go there, but I don't think anybody um, you know, who's from Cincinnati, Ohio, wants to go to Japan unless there's really no other option for them to play baseball. So Kevin Euclid at third base, 28 games as a Yankee. Euclid, uh, he ended up in Japan. The Yankees wanted to talk to him about playing third base, and he said that his preference was to play on the West Coast to be closer to his family. Because he's married to, like, Tom Brady's sister. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, so I guess, and, like, they're from there. Uh, and then he somehow ended up in Japan when there definitely would have been an opening for him in New York, especially after all the A-Rod stuff. Um, great pick, uh, great player. Uh, again, Red Sox stuff. Hate him. Hate him. Can't have him on my team. Don't like him. Uh, my starting third baseman is the always feisty Robin Ventura. Uh, there's just something about Robin Ventura I've always loved since he first got his face smashed in by Nolan Ryan. Um, <laughs> it's just an iconic uh, part of baseball fighting history. And I, I really liked Robin Ventura when he was a Yankee. Uh, I, I thought he put up some decent numbers, and he came across town from the Mets, which was nice. Um, but... Yeah, I think over his two years, we we got some decent numbers. Uh, 36 home runs over like a season and a half. Uh, not too bad coming out of the uh, out of third base. And he also he was an all-star for us in 2002. Well, I was a huge Ventura fan, and uh, going with my sort of theme on my team about not having guys that, you know, I, I tried to go in the joking side of what Cashman did at his, you know, since 98 and some of these guys. And, um, you know, I didn't want to put Red Sox on, but I felt like that only, you know, enforced the fact that he went out and took these guys who, you know, meant so much, um, you know, uh, you know, meant so much not or I'd actually not met so much the Yankees and their fans and went and put them on the team so I felt like it was only that much of like you know sticking it to us that he'd go out and put a guy like Euclid on the team and maybe McCavich not so much but certainly Euclid and uh you know Ventura was a great guy I, I was a big fan of his when during his time on the Yankees and um and you know I don't know if you have him on your team. I don't have him on mine, but I was going to mention because he always also reminds me of another third baseman that he's also had who is Todd Zeal. And I know you brought him up originally. I'm not sure if you're saving him later for the bench, but, you know, Zeal and Ventura sort of, you know, um, that Met combination playing for the Yankees. They just sort of always had the same feel to me. Yeah, no, Todd Zeal, unfortunately, did not um, make, make my team. And there was a point there where Robin Ventura and Todd Zeal were basically the same person. It was like, <laughs> that's what I. That's both, what I was saying. You, bo- you both kind of play third base for the Mets. Uh, Todd Zeal kind of plays first. Now you're both over, kind of playing third, kind of playing first. Like I, they they were attached at the hip for a little bit there. <laughs> well, at shortstop, well, shortstop was actually kind of hard to fill, and. Um, I went back and forth. I thought about making a guy who wasn't always a shortstop or shortstop. Um, I sort of left a couple guys off the team because I didn't really want to put them on. And I had to put this guy on only because he was the rookie of the year in 2003, stole the award from Hideki Matsui because some writers felt that Matsui wasn't really a rookie uh, because he played professionally in Japan, because he was such a big deal in Japan that, you know, coming over here and uh, producing what wasn't that big of a difference. Um, so a 25-year-old won rookie of the year in 2003 by the name of Angel Barella. And then six years later, he played 21 games for the Yankees, hit 136, with no home runs and 24 plate appearances, 
And Angel Barroche starting at shortstop on my team. I had no clue that Angel Barroche was a Yankee. <laughs> in, not only <laughs> a Yankee, but he, in a World Series winning year in 2009, he was on the team. Yeah, I mean, it looks like we traded him or let him go to the Mets. I'm not even sure what happened there, but... um. I think you qualify, like, you get a ring there. Like, he has a ring somewhere. Oh, yeah, he was a, he's a technically a champion. I mean, he was on the team in 09. Granted, uh, let's see what happened there. He was released on July 7th, um, and then he signed with the Mets four days later, and then he got released by the Mets on August 7th, and then uh, signed back with the Dodgers, who he had been with prior to the Yankees. So, um, you know, he definitely made his rounds, but... Uh, he he only played 14 more games in the majors after that Yankee stint, all with the Mets, and uh, hasn't been heard from since. I mean, yeah, that's an example of a guy who hasn't been in the major league since 2009, and he's 36 years old. <laughs> like burnt out incredibly fast, <laughs> and had those had the tail spin of his career with the Yankees. Yeah, um, I've got for my starting shortstop. Uh, shortstop's just so tough because you've got Jeter, and you actually had to look at like who. Who played any games at shortstop? There was, like, we had a guy a year who would play, like, five games. So it was even trying to find someone like that or try to find some kind of gap where maybe they played. So I had to go with a guy who played some shortstop. I don't even know how many games he played in New York at shortstop. But uh, a hero to this city in the year 2000, Mr. Jose Vizcaino. He's a, a utility infielder, but he played some shortstop. And the important thing is, when we needed him in the Subway Series, he came through uh, with uh, with a win. And I believe that was game one. Yeah, game one. Yeah, so that is my starting shortstop because um, we can't have Derek Jeter in there. Well, Vizcaino was mine until I remember that Burrow was on the team. So I, he actually is off my team as a whole, not even on the bench, but definitely a good pickup there. And I think... As we progress here, we get to the outfield. Really, the pitching is where you know the big names are, the ones that will really hit home um, and hit home hard, some of these names. But this name, to me, um, and certainly my dad, I know I think this guy, along with Nick Johnson um, and Raul Mondesi and uh, Nick Swisher, are probably my dad's least favorite Yankees. And uh, starting in left field for me, uh, this is a name... I don't. I feel like not everyone will remember that he was a Yankee, but in 2002, Rondell White, 126 games with the Yankees. I had Rondell White uh, very close to being on my team. Um, he was one of the last cuts. I actually spent a good amount of time uh, looking at this and just saying, like, who am I going to cut? And I don't know how people do it like GMs do it in person. It's like in Moneyball when they're like, you've got to ride with the players. Like, I don't know how you do it. It's, it's very tough. But my starting left fielder uh, is Holly Berry's ex-husband, David Justice. Um, that was He was another guy who I guess we picked him up in 2000 from Cleveland and he was one of those guys that it was what we wanted out of this year. We wanted to pick up someone who still had something left, and that's maybe what Headley is, but he helped really push that team over the edge to really make it a powerhouse dominant team. And he came through again. That's another guy who uh, got to win the World Series. He was teammates with Jose Canseco. 
And for 78 games in 2000, the Yankee hit 20 home runs. Yeah, Justice. I mean, he was a big part of the of the the tail end of uh, you know those World Championships. And uh, yeah, there's another guy that I wanted to put on the team, but in staying with the idea that making it as, as you know jokish as possible, I didn't put on there. But um, in center field. Um, He's also leading off for my team when we get to the lineup aspect of it, but I'm sure he's in your center field too, and that is Kenny Lofton, um, who played for the Yankees in 2004, of course the memorable 2004 season that I sometimes like to say never happened, or at least there was a strike that season and there was no postseason, so there was only the regular season, which the Yankees were first place in the regular season, and uh, 83 games for the Yankees in 2004, Kenny Lofton. I'm pretty sure that Kenny Lofton, like coming into the season, there were questions about would he be the everyday center fielder, would he lead off, and there were... Oh, there, yeah, there were. It was, people wanted him over Bernie in center field. Yeah, and it was uh, a major, major problem. Um, he's also my starter center fielder. He's batting lead off for me. But all of that went away, all of those problems, when he hit a leadoff triple to start the season. Like he started it with a triple. I think he was even like in Japan. Yep, they I think o- yeah, opened they opened in uh, against Tampa Bay for two games. Yeah, and he hit a leadoff triple, and it was we're back. You know, we had lost the World Series the year before. We've got we loaded up, and Kenny Lofton is setting the tone for the New York Yankees. It's funny <laughs> to say, but we are back. And yeah, his career really dwindled out. There was, he's another guy, kind of like Robin Ventura and Todd Zeal. Um, him and Marquis Grissom are basically the same person. I think they got traded for each other like <laughs> nine times. It was just like, let's play each other in the World Series. Let's get traded for each other. Like, they were the exact same person. <laughs> well, it, at right field, um, I have Lance Berkman, who you already had at first base, so we already touched on him, so I guess we'll couple these together. Right field, I had Berkman, and at DH, I had Canseco, who we also mentioned in the open. Um, so I guess go with your right field and DH. I'm guessing Canseco's the DH. Um, and uh, so, yeah, go with your right fielder then. Uh, my right fielder is the quickest bat um, until Avi Baez, apparently. <laughs> I know you got Gary Sheffield. Um, the amount of time that I think anyone around our age spent with a wiffle ball bat trying to be Gary Sheffield with just the, the bat tip and everything was great. Um, I, I wish I spent more time practicing it. But Sheffield, was, he was a good Yankee. Um, he, it was one of those deals where I don't think this was even a Cashman deal. I, I remember something about... George Steinbrenner, like, did this deal himself. He kind of, like, met with Sheffield. It came out of, like, nowhere that all of a sudden they're having burgers. He did. He and, did. like, stuff. Steinbrenner's being a common <laughs> man. Next thing you know, we've got Gary Sheffield out there playing right field. He came in. He played a game at third base, too, when someone got hurt. He came up as a shortstop third baseman with the Padres. And, um... Another one of those guys, he was just part of that middle of, like, the 2000s where we were going to win every World Series because we had everyone. We had <laughs> murderers row lineup, and Gary Sheffield was out there wrecking house. <laughs> 
Well, there's a few things there. I mean, the first, yeah, he did. Uh, Cashman wanted Vlad Guerrero, who, looking back, would have made the most sense because he was the MVP in 2004, which was Sheffield's first season with the Yankees, even though Sheffield finished um, at the top of the MVP voting as well. But it would have been nice to have Vlad Guerrero for a few years rather than Sheffield. Um, and then Sheffield, you know, in the third year there, he broke down at all, needed a cortisone shot like every 15 minutes. Um, and like you said, the Murderer's Row, which became Murderer's Row and Cano, and they had so many people, you know, they had Sheffield, and they traded for Abreu, then Giambi came back, and Matsui came back from his broken wrist, and they had like 50 people to play the outfield, Johnny Damon was there, so now they're playing people at first base, Sheffield's playing first base in playoff games, um, you know, making errors, he did play third a little, he might even play third in the game where Jeter got taken out when he dove into the stands, but, um, you know, that was a That's bad... That's what I believe it was. That, that was a bad time, because instead of loading up on pitching, especially, you know, 2004, I mean... We'll get to the pitching, but they lose that series to the Red Sox. I mean, the Yankees ran out Messina and John Lieber in games one and two. And granted, both of them had perfect games going for like a crazy extended amount of time. But then they had Al Duque, who was like 60 years old. Kevin Brown, who didn't want any part of pitching anymore. He was broken down. He was hurt. He, he was, you know, being a baby. Javier Vazquez, who was terrible. Um, in 05, they come back with Wong and Randy Johnson and Messina again. And then 06, it's Wong, it's R- Johnson, it's Jarrett Wright. Um, it's Messina. It, it was just a disaster, and they just kept loading up on middle, you know, of the middle of the order bats um, in their late 30s rather than pitching, and that really screwed them. And I think Gary Sheffield was sort of the face for that. Yeah, I mean, any team where you're relying on Javier Vasquez in pinstripes, you're in trouble. Like we had him, he was bad, and we got him again. Like if every time you show a guy a picture of the Statue of Liberty, he shits himself, <laughs> don't trade him to the Yankees. Don't don't bring him to New York. And that's, that's what really did in those teams is we did have, I know we're going to get into our pitchers, um, there were some really good pitchers in that time, but not at the time that they were supposed to be good. And I mean, Kevin Brown, prime example. <laughs> Just, I'm tired of playing baseball. <laughs> Well, I'm guessing we. I touched on DH was mine was Kid Seiko. I'm, I'm assuming he's yours as well. I mean, he's the reason we're here. Yeah, he of course he's the DH. <laughs> and if then, it wasn't for Jose Canseco, we would not be here right now. <laughs> well, I did a since we had the 25 man roster. I did 13 position players. Then I did uh, 12 pitchers. So I've got seven in the bullpen. But to round off my position players on the bench, I have Brian Roberts is sort of the uh, backup utility infielder. Obviously a disastrous season for him, part of this Yankee team. Um, it just I you know, tweeted every single day waiting for him to get designated for assignment and uh, it finally came true at the trade deadline. He was two plate appearances short of getting another $250,000 for the Yankees. So if he never plays baseball again and someday he needs $250,000 um, if he's made some bad investments or bad financial decisions um it's going to come down to the fact that he couldn't just get two more plate appearances with the yankees before they pinch it for him then benched him and then uh then released him and then also on the bench i've got vernon wells um who you know uh, an all-star one of the best you know center fielders to watch in person during his prime with the blue jays um the yankees are actually paying him this year so he might break the rule of being a current yankee because they still owe him a little more than two million dollars this year um and then Stinnett, who I mentioned earlier, is my backup catcher. And then backing up at first base, big sexy Richie Sexton, another you know memorable memorable piece of that 2018. Uh, you know about seven foot five, 
the guy just swinging through everything. If he made contact, he was going 600 feet, but 99% of the time he wasn't making contact. So Richie Sexton to round off my bench. Nice. Um, I went with the unconventional uh, 10 pitchers and 15 position players. That's like a postseason. Uh, you, you, might yeah. ever, you never would see it in the playoffs, but I guess that's the only time you'd ever see something crazy like that. I, yeah, I can win a five-game series. <laughs> That's probably it. Um, I've got, rounding out my outfielders, I've got uh, your father's least favorite player, from what you said, uh, Raul Mondesi. Um, just just let, him, let, let him go out there and let it fly. He was another big pickup. Like, wait, that's a big Spanish name we're going to get. And just, he... Was was not exactly what we wanted, and then uh, of course I can't. I I wanted to not have him, but he was so good so early in his career. Andrew Jones. Yeah, Andrew Jones. He's on my just cut list. Andrew Jones was, um, I guess. Well, he's from like the Virgin Islands or whatever, but he was he was Black Mickey Mantle when he came up. Like he was. I think it was 18 when he played the Yankees in the 96 World Series because I remember when they lost the first two games, <laughs> I remember my dad just going, well, if they win, what's he going to do? He can't drink in there. There should be cops in the locker room to arrest him <laughs> if they win. Hey, any champagne, it's his mouth. He should be arrested. And I was like, I'm with it, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, let's just be crazy Yankee fans right now. And we ended up with him. And now he's over in Japan, I think. Yeah, he is, and uh, he, you know, they sort of tried to resurrect him as the guy who could, um, you know, hit left-handed pitching, but he couldn't even do that. So uh, I guess Japan was the last place for him to go, along with Euclid. I think he's making some decent money over there too. Um, so <laughs> uh, backing up at first base, I've got Tony Clark, who now runs the Players Association. For some reason, I had it in my head that Fred McGriff was a Yankee for like <laughs> a week. I was convinced he was a Yankee for like a week at one point, and they were like, this isn't going to work. But um, I started at Tony Clark. I told you about Russell Martin as my backup catcher. And then I think this is the current Yankee fan in me, where these last two spots should have been pitchers, but I think I was mentally bracing for injury for this team that will never play a game. So I'm carrying two utility players. Um, I've got Mark Reynolds and Aaron Boone due to their versatility to play around the infield, and some of my outfielders and them could play some first base. And that just shows, now that we're talking through it, how fucked this season has made me. Because <laughs> I'm now just anticipating star players to get hurt, whether it's a seven-day concussion or it's, who knows, a wrist, a finger, whatever. I'm anticipating my field of dreams team. To come up lame with injuries. <laughs> well, you know, on uh, as we do this podcast Monday night early in the game, the Yankees take the three-one lead over the Orioles on that crazy play. And when that ball hit Beltran on the top of the helmet, I just, you know, I figured, well, we'll see him in, you know, spring training next year. Yeah, I um, I looked away while we we're doing this. Apparently, I saw on Twitter Manny Machado left with an injury. Yeah, he did. He got. Uh, he actually needed help getting off the field. They couldn't like put any of his weight on one of his legs. So, and I know he had that knee surgery uh, before this season and missed, uh, you know, a pretty good amount of time early in the season. So that could be pretty devastating to the Orioles right there. We're back in the East. We're back <laughs> in the East. Forget <laughs> the second wild card. We just won the East. 
Well, to continue on and to get to the pitching staff, which I think, you know, I just can't wait to drop some of these names on you. And this is, I really had the most fun trying to, to come up with this pitching staff. Um, it's five starters. I got seven guys in the pen. Um, and we start with Kevin Game 7 Brown, who will pitch on opening day for this team. Um, you know, just a, a train wreck, just the worst of the worst Yankees ever um, for his, you know, disastrous Game 7 performance. Might as well have just let a position player pitch because it probably would have been better off. I mean, the Red Sox come out, they they score those two early runs, um, and it just sort of set the tone. And then the back-breaking grand slam from Johnny Damon on the first pitch he sees from Javier Vasquez. But, you know, that was all Kevin Brown. Um, two years with the Yankees. Uh, he made 35 starts, went 14 and 13 with a 4.95 ERA, which was just just miserable. Um, and he was traded to the Yankees. Um, they 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 sent Jeff Weaver away, so I guess you know they got rid of one bad guy for another bad guy. And he made 15.7 mil for both those years with the Yankees. Kevin Brown is my opening day starter. Kevin Brown is in my rotation, and he is the epitome of. Uh, he's basically just threw a temper tantrum at, at the end. It's just like a little kid who's just got, I don't want to go to bed. It's just, I don't want to play baseball anymore. Fine, you're going to make me eat my vegetables. I'm going to throw them over the middle of the plate. That's, that's all it was. He had no interest in being there. Um, he went out. It's, we're in the playoff hunt right now, and so you're going to punch a wall. You weigh 130 pounds, and you're punching walls. It makes no sense at all. And he was one of those guys who, I mean, it was really, because he was the first like, $100 million guy, so it was like, oh, well, we're getting this star, like this big money star, because even though we had big players before, they weren't big money stars. And now we were getting them through, you know, free agency and trades, and he was a total flop. And I will, um, I guess, playing off what you said before, uh, I guess I have two guys who have been traded for each other in my rotation. As Just as I have Kevin Brown, I have Jeff Weaver on my team. And Jeff Weaver was another guy who, similar to the, the Vasquez, of just not really happy about being in New York. Uh, just... What what am I doing here? It's not clicking the way it used to in Detroit. He did put together some good, you know, some good starts for us. Had some decent outings, but I believe it was 2002 when we traded for him, and he led the league in complete games uh, with three complete game shutouts, and they were all with Detroit before he got traded because once he got here. Um, it fell apart fast with a, a four ERA and then came back the next year and had almost a six ERA. Well, I am very anti-Jeff Weaver. He's not on my team. He should have been. But, um, you know, they traded Ted Lilly for him, and Ted Lilly went on to have a great career. And you've, it's kind of funny because you're trading. Um, you know, the Yankees always try to get left-handed strikeout pitchers, and there they have one in Ted Lilly, and they get rid of him in that trade for Jeff Weaver. Um, and Weaver was horrible. And, you know, Torrey turned to him in that game four in the 2003 World Series, left Mariano in the pen while Weaver gave up the uh, walk-off home run to Alex Gonzalez, which changed that series around. Um, and then, of course, you know, he was up and down. He was in the minors. He was on the Dodgers. He's on the Cardinals. He wins that World Series in 2006 with the Cardinals, which was just absolutely disgusting to have to um, stomach. Uh, but for me, the Weavers, 
you know, I've joked before, and now it's sort of like the Drews. You got Jeff and Jared Weaver, who I also don't like, and Steven and J.D. Drew, who I don't like. And those families remind me of sort of the O'Doyle family and Billy Madison, where, you know, I... Did you? <laughs> What's that? Did you know that there's a, did you know there's a, a third Drew brother? I did not know that. Tim, Tim Drew, all three of them drafted in the first round. He played for the Indians for like three years or something, and like the Expos. But there's a third Drew brother who was a pitcher, and all three of them drafted in the first round. Like, <laughs> hey, Mr. Drew, never pull out. You can't miss <laughs> this guy. He's like Howie Long with his kid, but just does not miss. Like, always leave it in, because every time he does, he's creating a a pro athlete. <laughs> well, before we move on, I wanted to actually mention one more thing about Kevin Brown, and that is that um, in 2005, so coming off the, the disastrous end of 2007, the Yankees got off to a terrible start in 2005, and they're 11 and 15, and they're in Tampa for a series. And um, I was in Florida with my family, not for this series, like a different part of Florida, but I had the game on, and it, it, Kevin Brown started at the end. After the game, he was 0-4 at the point with an 8.24 ERA in April. But he started out the game, and this is how the Rays um, started the game against him, which was – I've never seen anything like this. It was single, wild pitch, single, double, ground out, single, double, single, 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 and then two outs. And it was the worst start I've ever seen. That's one, two, three, four, five. Twelve guys came to the plate, six runs and eight hits. He actually ended up going five innings, which is – I just – don't know how that happened, but that was pretty much the start of the end for Kevin Brown. And um, you know, you—I've really never heard anything about him since 2005, and since he left the Yankees. And I think that's probably for the better. Yeah, um, it's as fun as it was to look back and think of all the times when we got these great players. Uh, Kevin Brown is one of those times where it just—it brings back nightmares of what could have been, and just what a dick he was. <laughs> and I mean. It, and it sums up that we traded for that big contract of his. And, I mean, he was older at the time anyway, but he uh, he just went out in 2005. He was done. <laughs> well, backing up Brown in the uh, rotation, the Game 2 starter, I've got Jarrett Wright, who basically had one good year in the majors. Um, happened to come in 2004 with the Braves. The Yankees coming off, you know, the, the collapse against the Red Sox, so they decide let's throw money at anyone who is a free agent and seems remotely good. So some of that money went to Jarrett Wright. Um, he was disaster with the Yankees. Um, got hurt in 2005, missed a bunch of time. Um, 2006, he started uh, game four for the Yankees to save their season against the Tigers and blew that game. Um, went five and five in 05 with a 6.08 ERA, 11 and seven with a 4.49. Um, only made. 40 starts, 43 appearances for the Yankees, but he did collect, uh, you know, he did collect some good money with them. And uh, Jarrett Wright's my number two starter. Well, I do also have to point out, Jeff Weaver's the only guy on my team who was not an all-star. I thought he was for some reason, but I just realized that he wasn't. So kind of break my, my own rule there. But um, my next uh, guy is uh, John Lieber, who we picked up. Uh, from the Cubs, I think he was he was a free agent because he had to sit out a year for Tommy John. Like he got hurt in his last year with the Cubs. We were able to pick him up, and he actually put together a decent year in 2003. We paid him, you know, the league minimum, around like a half a million dollars, um, and he was able to come in and we paid him a half a half million dollars to do nothing for a year. He just sat out the year. 
I think we gave him about two and a half million dollars. He went fourteen and eight. Um, but you know, he was part of that two thousand four collapse. So don't really know how how much I can love him. <laughs> well, at number three, I have. Uh a member of the 2000 World Championship team. Um, he came over to the Yankees from the Reds midseason, and at the time he was 8-2 and two with a 3.52 ERA. And back in you know 2000, uh, if you had a 3.52 ERA, that's like the equivalent of having like a 2 ERA in 2014. But uh, Denny Nagel, who came over, came over, went 7-7 seven seven with a 5.81 for the Yankees um, in 16 uh, appearances, 15 starts. Um, he did get to pitch in the playoffs. Uh, in three games, he got the loss in two of those games. Um, so Denny Nagel is uh, is my number three starter. Just sixteen games with the Yankees. Um, so I also have Denny Nagel in my rotation, and Denny Nagel is, I, I guess he's like Kaiser Sose. I mean, I don't know what <laughs> trips he pulled because he put up uh, with Atlanta a year that he won like twenty games. Something like that. He went twenty and five in nineteen ninety seven. The Yankees got him in two thousand, and then in two thousand one, after he had just gone seven and seven for the Yankees, had been a barely over five hundred pitcher since that twenty and five year. He got a five year fifty one million dollar contract when this was when that was a huge contract. Right now, that's nothing to throw around the players, but it was a huge contract from the Rockies. And it's considered one of the worst contracts ever because <laughs> I think he played part of three years and then just never played again, collected all of his money. Um, for the Yankees, he got a ring. He got to be a Yankee once. Um, he was an all-star <laughs> before. So he um, he makes the team. He does. And, you know, when you look at his career earnings, $53.32 million. I mean, Denny Nagel was uh, – like you said, he he wasn't good. He had one season, um, and aside, I mean, there's a guy he has fifty three million dollars for just being like good for one of thirteen years, and are really good for one of thirteen years and good a couple of times. And he has fifty million dollars. If you have if you have fifty million dollars, you should have like had to invent something or or been the best at something. You shouldn't just have been some middle of the road pitcher. Well, and you're, uh, I assume you're getting this from baseball reference, and it's 53 million, but that doesn't count. That only is the years that he played. That doesn't count the two years that were left on his contract where he did nothing, but because he was injured too much to play, insurance probably covered it. He made another $20 million to sit at home <laughs> over two years. I know it's it's insane to think about like and back then like you said I mean that's crazy money to be throwing around I mean now if you're even a number three or four star you're getting like five years 65 just to start you don't even have to do much but I mean there's so the contracts at this you know stage guys getting a hundred million dollars I mean everybody we talk about everybody gets to be a Yankee once everybody gets a hundred million dollars once at this point I mean you used to look back at Someone like A. Rod who had two hundred fifty-two million, which was insane. And when Jeter got his ten years, you know, whatever it's say, I got to look up the number. But you know, you had to be a face of baseball. You had to be a great player to get it. And now, just anybody gets it. Or you could just be Denny Nagel and Mike Hampton and go to Colorado and just be. <laughs> they were going to be the Goatee Brothers and just match home runs and strike <laughs> everyone out. Oh my God! I'm trying to find the. Uh, the Jeter deal right now uh, on Cod's contract because it was ten years, and that was really his one deal because 
that ran out and then he got the deal he's currently playing under. It was for 10 years, $189 million, which, you know, people probably thought, wow, Derek Jeter got $189 million. Now you get $189 million, you just have to be like a 260 hitter and be like a 25, you know, 70 guy. Yeah, yeah, now it's nothing to get. Back then, you had to be the face of baseball and dump Mariah Carey. Like, that's <laughs> how you're in that. You had to tag her for a few months and then just, uh, and then just cruise Manhattan. <laughs> but it's well, a different game now. Oh, it is. And, uh, you know, as, as we continue here, my number four star actually had two stints with the Yankees, um, it, which is rare. I mean, you know, you have your guy, your icons, like Tino Martinez, who had two stints, but people love him. And now as a plaque in Monument Park, uh, you've got, um, you know, guys who weren't, you know, weren't so wanted to be two stints in the Yankees, like Javier Vasquez. And then you've got Sidney Ponson, who, um, another guy who really had one good year in the majors. Um, and that came with the Orioles, but he did come back, uh, and, and get a second chance with the Yankees in 2008 after getting some starts for them. Um, in 2006, uh, you know, one of only, I believe Two, I want to say two. I think Xander Bogarts is the other only other uh, major league player from Aruba, but I could be wrong about that. But um, 2006, Sidney Ponstone, five games, three starts with the Yankees, 0 and 1, 10.47 ERA. And in 2008, him and Daryl Rasner, who would have been another good name to put in this rotation if I had more space, uh, made out 40 percent of the rotation. But four and four, 5.85 ERA for Sidney Ponstone as they sort of tried to rely on him to get in the playoffs. I'm really hoping that Ponson's also on your team. Um, so I actually don't have Sidney Ponson. He was my last cut from the <laughs> team because um, he wasn't an all-star. Um, but my last starter that I have left is actually my number one starter. Um, I saved him the best for last, Randy Johnson, the big unit. Um, I'm left-handed. Was, I'm one. So growing up, I was really tall, really skinny, left-handed, and a pitcher. And Randy Johnson was everything to me. He was just, he was the best. He was so dominant. He's in movies. He's just an ugly guy. He had a shot. He made tall, skinny, ugly guys feel like they had a chance in the world. And he came to New York, and he delivered. He went 17 wins two years in a row. But he wanted, he has to be traded back home because of family problems. Now he's some weirdo with a camera following around Metallica or some band like that <laughs> taking pictures. Um, and it was a shame to see him kind of fade out there because he had, you know, he got the World Series in Arizona, unfortunately beating us. He came to New York and thought we'd get him another one. And then he went back to Arizona to play for pretty bad teams, ends up in San Francisco, and it's just a matter of, I wish it ended better, but having Randy Johnson was awesome for anyone who grew up really loving him and remembering just how dominant he was in Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball for Super Nintendo. Well, I was at the uh, the 2005, it was the entire season opener. It was Sunday Night Baseball, Yankees-Red Sox. Um, obviously, the Yankees' first game since the Game 7 loss um, and the Red Sox' first game since winning the World Series, at Yankee, and it was at Yankee Stadium. And it was Randy Johnson's Yankees debut. And he walked from, um, I was out in, in the right field bleachers in Section 39, and, and the place was packed, I mean, well before the game even started, I mean, it, it was crazy. It just felt like it felt like a playoff game, even though it was only game one of 162 because of the way last season ended. And when he walked from 
the dugout all the way to the Yankee bullpen, which obviously used to be in left center field. Um, and he walked out there. He had like a towel around his neck, and Ron Guidry was with him. And, you know, the play started chanting Randy Johnson, and it was so loud. If, if you felt like he was pitching, you know, in the ninth inning of Game 7, you know, coming out of the bullpen trying to hold on for a World Series win. But, you know, everybody was pumped about getting him. Um, he did win 34 games in two years. He had a 5 ERA in the second year. Um, he didn't come up the way we wanted him to in the playoffs. But had they gotten him in 04, yeah, things are probably different the same way they would have been if Pettit and Clemens didn't go to Houston. But uh, Randy Johnson, yeah, I wish, like you said, I wish things ended differently. But for a guy who was in his 40s when they got him, uh, to win 34 games in two years, uh, pretty solid, pretty solid Yankees tenure compared to some of the other guys. Yeah, um, still love Randy Johnson. He put up an all-star year for us. And, um, yeah, I mean, two 17-win seasons, you can't really complain about that for a guy who's already, you know, at 40. Yeah, and then uh, and then my last starter is Sergio Mitre, who is the only guy on my team. I think actually earlier I said he couldn't have played parts of three seasons, but he played such little parts of three seasons in 2009, 2010. And then after he went to Milwaukee in 2011, he comes back to New York um, you know, to give us uh, you know some more awful pitching. But Sergio Mitre, um, parts of three years with the Yankees, 43 games, 12 starts, 3-6 and six with a 535 ERA. And there's another guy, like you said, you know, he has a ring. Uh, Sergio Mitre is a 2009 world champion, and not only that, but he got to pitch two and two-thirds innings um, in three games. They used him in, Joe Girard used him in three games in the 2010 ALCS against Texas, um, and he had a 10-13 ERA. So, you know, we weren't probably going to win that ALCS anyway because Cliff Lee was the difference, but when you're using Sergio Mitre in three playoff games in the, AL, in the same series, in the ALCS to go to the World Series, uh, things aren't looking up for you. Yeah, I mean, those numbers that you just rattled off for his stats are, you you should have just not come. Like, Sergio, <laughs> just say, we'll go at this with 24 guys. We'll be all right. Um, it's just, he got to be a Yankee. <laughs> Everyone gets to be a Yankee. I mean, if you go through these, and I know we still have our bullpens, but if you really think about it for so many of these guys, you just sum it up with, well, I guess everyone gets to be a Yankee. They do, and uh, I think the bullpen is really, you know, during Cashman's, uh, you know, tenure here and as the as the GM, not the, you know, not during his time as the assistant GM, but he's really put his best work, and you know, I say that sarcastically in the bullpen with some of these names, um, and you know, just starting it off, I, I guess we could rattle through them quicker than needed. I know you have a, a very short uh, pitching staff. Yeah, you want to just. You want to just rattle off yours, um, and then we'll talk about. We'll see where the overlap yeah. is, and no, I'll I rattle think, off. Mine. I think that's a good idea. And I, you know, at the at the top of the bullpen, the very very back end, uh, closing it out is Armando Benitez, who had very limited stint um, with the Yankees. Uh, you know, when he got traded over from the Mets. Then I've got Buddy Groom, Scott Erickson, who had a very also minimal stint with the Yankees. Latroy Hawkins, who nearly gave me a couple heart attacks um, during his one year with the Yankees, blew a handful of games. Probably is the reason they weren't in the playoffs in 2008, aside from the fact that everybody was on the DL at some point that season. Uh, Latroy Hawkins was as bad as he could be, and the fact that he, t- he wore number 21 when, even if they weren't ever going to and still aren't going to retire for Paul O'Neill, um, you know, it was during that period where no one should wear it, and he wore it, and everyone got on him until he changed it. Um, so you had to hate him for that. Uh, Chan Ho Park, a terrible signing, a guy who, you know, you, you read reports when the Yankees signed him after 2009 with the Phillies how, you know, he had good numbers, 
but his numbers were very misleading because he gave up a lot of inherited runners um, to score. Uh, he, he, you know, melted down a bunch. He wasn't the firefighter they thought they were getting. Um, he was not a fireman at all in the bullpen. Uh, he blamed that early, that opening night loss um, on Easter in, in Fenway on diarrhea when uh, Dustin Pedroia took him deep. Uh, so Chanho Park's in there. Chad Qualls, a guy who was here for like 10 seconds, and the second he got here, um, I started hate-tweeting him, wanting him designated for assignment. And the last guy will be my lefty out of the bullpen, Jesse Orozco, who I need to check his age when he came to the Yankees. It was in 2003, um, but, I mean, he was ancient at that point. Uh, he was 46 years old. Uh, <laughs> that just sounds insane to say. <laughs> 46 years old in his 24th and final season in the majors pitching for the Yankees. Jesse Orasco is the uh, last guy uh, in my bullpen. Jesus Christ. So um, I've got Benitez uh, in there, obviously, as my closer. And that's one of those guys that when we got him, it was like, oh, well, you know, he's probably not himself anymore. But part of you as a Yankee fan has to hate Armando Benitez because who throws at Tino Martinez? (laughs) I tweeted out the other day the whole video from that fight and just said, this is what the Yankees need. The Yankees need to start fighting people and get a little bit of fire under there, have Strawberry running around on crack, just punching people. Now we're in the playoffs again. But... Armando Benitez is closing out for me. And the way I structured my bullpen is because I did go so lineup heavy is um, I've got Armando Benitez closing for me. I've got my eighth inning guy as Kerry Wood, who came over in that short stint uh, like Berkman. Uh, But he played well for the Yankees. Um, So I've got him as my eighth inning guy with Benitez closing. And the idea being that LaTroy Hawkins would be my seventh inning guy. So now all I'm asking out of my starters is to go six innings. Um, I'm a big proponent of if you can go six and you have a seven, eight, and nine guy, you can close out games. Um, so then the rest of my bullpen is Scott Harrison. And uh, lastly is Freddie Garcia, who <laughs> had not been a league game in like a few years and was a non-roster invitee to – possibly very small chance make the Yankees and crack the opening day rotation. <laughs> well, who could ever forget the 2011 season where they went in thinking that Bartolo Colon, you know, who basically hadn't been a factor in baseball in like six years, and then Freddie Garcia, like who you mentioned, had to reinvent himself to from a 98 you know mile an hour guy to like 83. Uh, who would have thought that that team would have won the uh, the AL East with those two in the rotation for a very good part of the season? Yeah, and Bartolo Colon was very close to making it. Um, Bartolo Colon and Chanho Park were uh, very tough to not put on the team, and Chanho Park was mostly because of the diarrhea. Well, some other guys, uh, before we wrap it up, that I, that didn't make my team, but obviously you had Mondesi and Lieber, John Vanderwall, um, you had Clark, John Olerud, Chili Davis, Tony Tarasco, Jason Grimsley, Terrence Long, Randy Wynn, uh, Travis Lee, Craig Wilson, Chad Gaudan, Eric Hinsky, Raul Banez, Austin Kearns, Glenn Allen Hill, uh, Travis Hafner, and Lyle Overbay, those were the guys who were originally, you know, invited to camp but didn't end up on the team. Trash heap Overbay. 
<laughs> last year's team was really just bad. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess to, to quickly run through what my opening day lineup would be with this team. Leading off, I've got Kenny Lofton uh, playing left field. Batting second, playing shortstop, Jose Vizcaino. Batting third and mashing a million home runs on the juice. My DH, Jose Canseco. Batting fourth, playing first base. I hate New York, Lance Berkman. Batting um, whatever, whatever's next pitch, playing right field, Gary Sheffield. Uh, next up, playing left field, David Justice. After that, we've got Pudge Rodriguez catching. Then we've got, to round out the order, Robin Ventura at third base, Tony Womack at second base. Uh, for this fantasy lineup where I'm worried about injuries, for some reason I tried to make sure that I went left to right and did switch hitters. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was uh, really a huge waste of time and over-analysis. <laughs> well, for my lineup, I had Lofton, Pudge, Berkman, Canseco, Euclid, uh, U- um, oh, Rondell White, Doug Minkiewicz, Tony Womack, and Baroa. So very light-hitting team there, but uh, I think it got the message across. And I think, um, I think you know, going back at these teams, looking at these players, getting some laughs in, some of the guys obviously world champions, some not, but... You know, it just goes to show at some point everybody gets to be a Yankee and uh, there's a handful of guys on this team already who have a chance to be on it at some point. Yeah, this team is. That's what really made things sad is when I started setting up, like, the rules for my team and all this stuff, I realized how many guys that are currently on this team or have been on this team this year are getting to be a Yankee once. (laughs) And it's a bit sad. But, yeah, no, I've appreciated uh, you having me on. Enjoyed doing this. Uh, for anyone, follow me on Twitter, at BarstoolJJ, and uh, check me out on uh, Barstool Sports. I'm on the New York site. And, uh, yeah, that's really all I've got. No, I think that's a good way to end it. And as we end it, Chase Headley's on first, and Stephen Drew flies out to center field. So two guys who could be on this team in the future when they're, uh, you know, I think they should have to, maybe not the five-year Hall of Fame thing where you have to sit out, but maybe one year you have to sit out. And now, of course, Martin Prada's up at the plate. So uh, that's the 2014 Yankees, and as we end this podcast, they're losing to the Orioles, which in a game they can't lose, and, uh, and the guys who are getting their one chance to be a Yankee are really helping them do that. That basically sums it up right there. <laughs> All right, JJ. Well, we'll have to talk again. Uh, we've got a lot of baseball left, 40-plus games down the stretch. And, uh, you know, I really hope, I, like I said, I'd sign up for the second wild card now, even though mentally and emotionally and physically I don't know if I'd be able to handle one game, uh, you know, go on to the playoffs or go home. But I'd sign up for it right now because things aren't looking good for the Yankees. But we'll talk again down the stretch. Sounds good, my man.